1: <laughs> Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just The Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I am thrilled that you guys are here with us today. We have a show that selfishly, I have been very excited about for, you know, I'm, I'm like a five-year-old when it comes to anticipating things I'm excited about. So it's probably been really a couple months, but it's felt like five to 10 years at least. And what's, what's more uh, amazing is that Dean is actually on time today for the show he just got into the studio rode in on his white noble steed ladies and gentlemen welcome to the show the one the only bearded wonder from the united kingdom mr dean holland
0: <laughs> oh. oh there we go <laughs> there we go oh, oh, what's happening <laughs> how you doing james good i'm um, excellent here. how are you today man oh, i am very good every uh, every week is a good week when i get to spend it with you i told you this
1: Yes, but I've never believed you because generally that's (laughs) the statement that follows is like, I can't stand you or why does my life so suck so much that I have to spend time with you, but, uh, I'll I'll just, my thoughts now, (laughs) yes, for, uh, you know, just for keeping the peace and pleasantries. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'll tell you what, so I, I just mentioned a minute ago how excited I am for our guest today and for the show. Because uh, we, we've got somebody who has a wealth of experience. You know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show. Um, uh, Adam, who is our guest, i am bring him on in just a second. Not only is he a serial entrepreneur, but uh, an academic researcher on business models and, and how to actually structure and architect business models that, uh, that work, that are sustainable, that give you a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. And you know not only has he you know started multiple companies he 's sold companies for multiple eight figures in the venture capital space super experienced guy, and somehow or another, he agreed to come on the show with us and we 're mm-hmm. thrilled to have him here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Adam Bach. How are you today, Adam?
2: I am great. Thank you so much for having me on
1: yeah, absolutely i 'm sorry about Dean. He's just like,
0: you know, he's here, now? you're going to have to deal with him, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you have to let me at least do something wrong. <laughs> well, It's a preemptive apology, really. <laughs> you know, because
1: I know there's no question you're going to do something. So, um, yeah, so Adam, we're, we really are uh, very excited to have you here today. And as I, you know, we were kind of getting to know each other a little bit before we went on the air. You know, one of the things that I mentioned was we have so many entrepreneurs who listen to this show who are putting in the hard work, right? Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're working, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, doing what it takes to grow their business. And sometimes they're just not really making the traction over the long term with all of their efforts. And one of the things that I've become fascinated with is well, what business model are you putting that effort into? And you've done an extraordinary amount of research on business models. You've written a book on business models, which is, uh, you know, awesome book. And so I I just really want to dig into this subject today. Um, Before we kind of unpack that and get to the tips, can I ask you why you even became so interested in business models to begin with?
2: Yeah. So, and, and actually that's great. Cause the one of the very first thing I wanted to do before we go any further is I, I do have to do a quick shout out to professor Jerry George. Jerry is the Dean of the uh, business school at Singapore management university. He was my PhD supervisor. He is phenomenal academic business expert and friend. And, and your question is, perfect for that because he's the reason that I started studying business models. Um, That's
1: amazing. And before you go, (laughs) I guess I need to, to recant. It's it's Doctor
2: Adam Bach. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> no, Doctor Bach is my father. Actually, I uh, my, okay. my dad my dad's a retired surgeon. I've never really gotten used to that because I you know he was always Doctor Bach, and so when I when I did the PhD, it felt very strange. It's that sort of very cliche kind <laughs> right. of thing. So I it is technically, and I do use that in my classrooms with my undergraduates just to kind of remind them. But beyond right. that, I don't <laughs> I don't really. I don't really yeah. use that at all.
1: Listen, kids, I'm a doctor. You
2: better pay attention. <laughs> it. Right, right. right Milman, it's, of it yeah, sounds right. so good, you know.
1: <laughs> so okay, so so it was a it was inspired by a mentor.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly, Jerry. So I, you know, I had been an entrepreneur, um, coming out of a business environment after an MBA and some engineering experience, and starting these, you know, mostly biotech companies, really. Um, And had made the decision that uh, I wanted to go back and and do some academic work um, because, in fact, I'd already written a book with Jerry about academic entrepreneurs because all of my startups were spun out of universities and so i contacted jerry and uh you know and i was kind of a little late to the game you know at that point i was already 30 years old normally the phds start when you're like 21 or 22 and i i called jerry and i said hey jerry you know i really think i actually kind of want to do this phd after all is it too late and he says no it, it's not too late but it, it is kind of getting late <laughs> all right well <laughs> and uh and he's and i said can i come do the phd with you in london because at the time jerry had had uh, was at imperial college and he agreed, and we, we we were able to work things out. And when I you know I got there, we started talking, and uh, and I said, "What do you you know?" I- James, there, you it's not you oh, there you go. you singing. There you go. There you go. No, there was you not. Go. That was not me
0: singing. I, 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 the 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 audio guy. He had something on. I don't know what's going on. He's nuts. He's fired. By the way, he's gone. <laughs> All right. Well, that's me. that's
1: good. I'm I'm glad to hear that, Adam. <laughs> we're a very very professional production here, <laughs> as you can see. Um, so yeah, carry on carry on with the story then.
2: Yeah. So Jerry said, I think we should study business models, and I said, oh, it seems like a great idea. Everybody's talking about it. I've been talking about it. You know, the managers and executives. I, I I talk with talk about it and he said, great, what is it? And I said, <laughs> I, said I have no idea. Well, that's a million dollar
1: question. And so like it, it is a, it is a commonly held buzzword. Everyone's like, oh man, these guys have a great business model. Oh, that, that's not a good, like what are people really talking about when they say business model? Like, what does that yeah. even mean?
2: Yeah, and, and that was, I, you know, and I, I think I benefited from that 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 discrepancy more than anybody else on earth because I wrote my entire PhD about the fact that people didn't know what the heck they were talking <laughs> about, right? Literally, my thesis was when managers talk about business models, they're not talking about the same thing that academic professors and researchers are talking about business models. So the vast majority of all this research that's already been done is basically useless because it's, mm. it's, <laughs> it's not what managers mean. Um, it, was, it was it was it was fun because we were right at this time where you know we'd gotten out of the you know that the, a decade past the dot com you know boom and bust when business models really kind of emerged as something right? Uh, back at a time when people were like, oh, your business model doesn't have to make money anymore, right? It's okay. You can still have a wildly successful company, even though you don't have a business model that makes money. So we sorted that out. That took a couple of years to sort out. But then now we're at this time where everybody's talking about business models again, and nobody can agree on what they are. And you're exactly right. We would go to people and we'd say, can you talk about your company's business model? And they'd explain what their business model was. And it was pretty compelling. And then we'd say, hey, that's really great. So what is a business model? And then there'd be this long, uncomfortable silence, right, while they tried to, you know, tried to sort out in their head. They knew what their business model was, but nobody knew what a business model was. So that, that was what we did. We spent a couple of years kind of talking with an awful lot of people, looking at what other people had written, and we began putting all of this together. Um, and the funny part, of course, is that this – you know, the book, uh, the business model book that you mentioned – um, was technically our second book on business <laughs> <laughs> models, which, which I think has been a little more, it's, it's gotten a little more traction. It's been, it's been translated into about five different languages now. And we've seen, you know, at least some, some enthusiasm, but our first book on business models, you've never heard of, and we've sort of buried because it was <laughs> it just, <laughs> we, it was more for uh, an academic audience. It was really, um, it was, it was called models of opportunity. We published it through Cambridge. So you can tell right off the bat, we were not shooting for high sales. And uh, but nobody read it like no one, no one on earth read that book. And it was it was obtuse and it was it didn't you know, I'm not sure we made a lot of sense in it. I I think we had we tried to say something useful, but it just didn't it didn't play because it's a tough topic, really, because this Mm. idea did come from practice from Mm. managers talking about it. And then when researchers got into it, they tried to put parameters around it that were testable and researchable. And that moved it away from what managers were really talking about. Um, well, that's, so th- I mean, that's been a problem.
1: That's really interesting because I think, you know, it's uh, it's it's a topic that, you know, maybe s- some people understand, but I think the the idea that researchers would want to put parameters around it makes sense because then you can influence things. You know what levers to pull, you know how to... You know, create better designs, and and up until that point, it's almost like, oh, that guy sort of has an intuitive knowledge of how to create a business model that works. This guy doesn't even know what that means, but he's still pulling it off. And these guys seem to think they know what business models mean, but their business sucks, right? right? <laughs> and so it's yeah. like all these all these different things at play. So maybe uh, just in a really concise way, like, could you define what you guys have unpacked? like as the definition of like what is a business model
2: right so we after looking at a lot of sort of perspectives from managers and executives and researchers we felt like we could define it in a relatively concise way as being associated with a couple of very specific things and this definition that we came up that we reached and has you know i it's not the definitive definition still in the you know it for researchers there's still 20 years later, there's still argument about all this. But we, we tried to focus it in on a couple of very specific things. Number one, it has to be about the way the organization is designed, right? It's the way the pieces fit together mm. in however the organization actually functions. It has to address an opportunity, right? There has to be some mm. mechanism or connection between what the organization is capable of and, and what's out in the environment such that there's actually an opportunity that can be exploited. And then there has to be some mechanism that there's value being um, created and captured. Right. Mm -hmm. So those were the, the, in the final analysis, those were the things we brought together. And I don't even remember the exact wording of it, the design of an organization um, to, you know, to exploit an opportunity that, you know, creates and captures value. Um, that was kind of where we got to with this. And there were, you know, there were lots of sort of sub pieces that built up into it, but that was kind of the basis for, you know, where we ended up with going to the book and trying to then unpack that into all the steps and stages that you could use in order to try to see if you actually had something like that, that could work.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. So like, um, you know, a a lot of entrepreneurs and I would say all the good ones are very return driven, right? They're like, all right, Hmm what's, what's the point of this?
0: Right.
1: You know? And so I would, I would throw that out here and say, okay, like, you know, because I think sometimes in academia, it's like, all right, there's like really something interesting to study for the sake of understanding and knowing, but then, but then as it gets deployed into, you know, quote the real world, people are like really putting things through their paces and, you know, using that information to generate a return. In, in, your, in your mind, what would you say is, like, the importance of understanding this? Like, why would somebody take, you know, time? Well, first of all, I don't know why anybody's taking time to listen to Dean and I in the first place. But,
2: you know, now that we've got somebody credible here like yourself. Yeah, I, I worry I'm not helping you here. But I, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I don't want to make it worse.
1: Well, we, I mean, we do have two loyal listeners, Dean's, awesome. Dean's mom I, and go. my dog, Louie, back
2: here. Right. Okay, well, we do um, they, also
0: have the nation of Shenzhou. That's right. The <laughs> province of Zhengzhou
1: turns out to be a hot spot for our
2: Not listeners. Interesting. Oh well, yes. the books the books in Chinese, so maybe we're in good shape.
1: Well, there we go. Now you're going to see your Zhengzhou chel- sales really skyrocket. <laughs> um, so so what is the like what is the importance and why why would we want to study this? and really think through these these questions about our own business models in our, in our companies.
2: Yeah, good question, James. It, it is actually, it is a really, really good question. And it's a question that in fact, I think doesn't get asked often enough, right? Because I think people just kind of start with whatever they've seen about business models, usually the canvas now, right? Because that's mm-hmm. become the dominant, the dominant framework that everybody uses and that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Alexander Osterwalder and the, and the canvas is brilliant and I teach it in my classes. Um, but it's not enough. And uh, understanding uh, that this is about how you design an organization, right? I mean, because this is sort of the funny thing about this is when, when I work with entrepreneurs and you know, having been an entrepreneur, um, entrepreneurs sometimes forget that the organization is just a tool. That's all it is, right? It's just, it's just a tool in your tool belt. If you could make the value without the organization, why wouldn't you? Right. Right. Like if it was a pure arbitrage and you could do it from your desk and you didn't have to hire anyone, you didn't have to talk to anybody, wouldn't you just do it that way? The organization's just a mechanism that has certain big advantages to it, right? Like scalability and replicability and, mm. uh, you know, set the, and then of course things like limited liability, <laughs> which is usually also a good idea. Um, but uh we want to recognize that all of these are simply pieces that lead to something that's then very effective, right? And so this aspect of making sure there's an opportunity, making sure that there's a way of creating the value, because if you're not creating value, then either you're destroying value or you're stealing value. And I don't think either of those are sustainable for the long haul. And then you still have to have a way to capture it, right? It's not enough just to say, wow, what we're doing is really valuable for people because if, if it it is, but people won't pay for it, you're still kind of out of luck, right? Mm. Or if you're going to create all this value and then it's going to be exploited by another organization. I'm, you know, I do some consulting work. I'll just give you a quick example. I'm doing some consult. I always, um, I always continue to do a lot of work with universities, and i 'm doing work with the University of Minnesota right now for their tech transfer office on spinning biotech companies out. We just had a conversation this last week with this unbelievably cool biotechnolo- biotechnological innovation that, for all I know could um, could cure major diseases into the future um, and the problem is that it requires a complementary Asset. It requires a technology that's already commercialized and owned in the marketplace. And we know that when, that, when, when you try to do something, when you try to bring an innovation to market and you, are, you have to use a complementary asset that someone else owns, then the research shows that the, that's the company that's going to capture all the value out of it. Like you'll be lucky to get your little piece. because so the,
1: guys, the guys that already have the thing deployed in the world.
2: Yes, because right. they, they, have, they have all the power in the negotiation. They can, be, they can just walk away. They'd be like, yeah, I, we love your idea, but if you're not willing to play ball, we're just going to say no, because we still have our business, right? And right. So th- this is this running challenge where it's not just about the technology. It's never just about the technology. It's never just about the idea, right? It's all about the implementation and it's all about how it fits into the broader environment that you have to compete. And that's a it's a really frustrating thing for entrepreneurs and scientists to face Mm. um, because they're under the impression, dude, I've done the hard work. I came up with the cool idea. Right. Mm -hmm. So where's my money? um yeah. and it, like those I mean, it's of us that simple <laughs> right i mean I, I, that was the way i thought about it the first time through as well and then you discover that it doesn't it doesn't work like that like you have an idea and you still have to create 99% of the value of the ultimate organization and the and the venture but we, you know with actually getting it accepted and out into the market and implemented and that's that's where all of this comes together is kind of recognizing that that the hard work is still to come even after you've had the you know the brilliant idea
1: Right, right, because you have to build the business around the idea. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's, yeah, it's not just the idea, and the and the business needs to take shape in order to get that idea, you know, creating value and then capturing value and, mm-hmm. you know, creating competitive advantage and, like, all of those things. And so what – Um, so just to, like, sort of unpack some of these elements of – the, you know, the structure of thinking through the business model, you, you know, you mentioned a few of them, what, what would be, you know, obviously we don't have, you know, days to, to analyze a particular company or anything here, but just, you know, we are called just the tips. This is so, true. Right? It is <laughs> in, until we may make a name change called just the Doug, but that was just, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, the, that has to go before the committee to vote on that. Um, but, and uh, so now that he fired the guy who was interrupting us, like it might, it's still a possibility. But so, so if we're, if we're looking at how to evaluate, you know, now we have an idea whether it's a new idea or an existing idea right because it doesn't it doesn't even necessarily matter if it's been an idea we've been trying to run with for a year or two or three or whatever it's like there's there's different questions and different angles to be looking at this through different lenses perhaps what like walk us through like the first thing that an entrepreneur should be thinking when they're really trying to evaluate their business model.
2: Sure. Yeah, and, and and I think the first thing is always you know problem solution fit, right? So is there an actual problem out in the market? Uh, is there and, and does whatever and whatever your idea is, whatever the product is, whatever the service is, does it actually meet an underlying need that you can identify and that customers are likely to potentially pay for? Um, and, and, and the nice thing is that, you know, you can do that in one of the canvases you can use, for example, Ash Moria's lean canvas, which I actually think for startups and early stage is better than the business model canvas because it Mm. does, have that problem solution piece right there you know before you know what the activities are before you know what the resources the organization are before you know what your key partnerships are that problem solution fits absolutely essential but i i will tell you that the the reason this fails for so many entrepreneurs in my experience and it's failed once for me as well and you know for entrepreneurs I've tried to mentor and companies I've seen and, and so on. It's because the impression is that the problem is whatever our technology solves, right? <laughs> right. <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we have this, we have this hammer, dude, there's gotta be some nails around here, something, yeah. you know, somewhere, something we can hit with this thing. Right. And <laughs> you know, that it, it's, and that's the joke I make in a lot of my classrooms is, you know, when you're trying to put a, you know, when you're trying to hang a painting or something on the wall, you, you don't actually need a lump of metal. I mean, this misshapen lump of metal, that's just a – it just happens to be a convenient thing that most people have, so they use that, right? If you had a magic wand that could instantaneously put nails in the wall without any effort and it didn't cost much to use, that would be preferable, right? Because then you can hand it off to someone else or put it in the drawer and, you know, it's just – the. so this is this fundamental, this critical first step, because it's not what you think the problem is. It's what your customers mm-hmm. think the problem is. Right. Yeah. And very often those are two totally different things. Like you've noticed that customers complain about the price of a given product in the market. And so you've built something that's a little bit cheaper. And then you go out there figuring, you know, the world's going to be the path to your door and then nobody buys the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And it's because you didn't actually figure out what on earth their pain point was. You don't know mm-hmm. what they're, you don't know what problem they're trying to solve. And the worst part is you usually can't even ask them because, of all the problems with, you know, things like social desirability bias where people just tell you what they think you want to hear, right? You got to observe them. You got to go out there and you got to see what they're doing and you got to find out what their day-to-day p- pains and problems are. And then that's how you build a potential solution. And if it uses your technology, fantastic, right? That's, that means you're in a great spot. But, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs go out and they, 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 look at the, they finally look at the customer and talk to the customer and observe the customer. And then they kind of step back and go, you know, damn, technology doesn't deal with any of that stuff. Right. And and then sometimes they move forward anyway, under the theory that they can educate their customers. And that's always kind of a, you know, it's possible, but it's, it's a much, it's a whole different proposition because people don't like to change. Anytime you're trying to change your customers, Mm. that's a bad starting point, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I, uh, I see, I see that a lot, you know, everybody, especially entrepreneurs, like they're like, you know, machine guns for ideas, right. right? Right. It's like, like I've got another one. Well, you just had like ten seconds ago, and it's just like <laughs> a, it's just like bullets spraying across the room, just all these different ideas.
0: Um, well, I can definitely, I can definitely say I've made that mistake in the past. I think, I think, and I, like, I think the honest truth of analyzing it is, I was probably a bit more egotistical driven many years ago, where I thought that I've had this idea, it's a great idea, right. and you, you just deploy all your energy and efforts into creating this vision of this thing, because your idea is so wonderful. And then like you say, then you turn to the marketplace and you're like, Oh, hang on a minute. This this isn't quite going the way I thought it would. It was (laughs) great. Grand in my mind.
1: Yeah. It's sort of like how I thought this was going to be a fun podcast to do with Dean. And then he shows up wearing a Hawaiian floral t-shirt.
0: And- hey, look, I haven't left the UK since October last year. If I want to feel a bit tropical today, I can do that. <laughs> you should be thankful. I don't stand up. I'm completely naked from the shirt. Down. Right. Yeah. I'm very, very yeah, grateful. Please, please don't stand up. Thank yeah, you. Say, yeah. I'm, I'm, all right. Let me turn your camera
1: off. Um, well, you know, it's, it's really, it's, It's so obvious when you say something like that, Adam, you know, like, oh, make sure there's actually a problem for your solution, but it really is worth repeating even, you know, even as I think through the different ideas and ventures that I've started, or even just, you know, products within ventures or whatever, it's a really solid reminder, um,
2: Well, the challenge is people don't say it that way, right? So like when you have entrepreneurs who are struggling, they don't say, um, I don't understand why my product doesn't fit the, the market need. What they say is, I don't understand why my customers don't see the value in this. Right. Right? Like I don't, (laughs) it's so obvious. Why don't, why why are my customers so stupid? Right. Like, (laughs) like, you know, I think, I think I see the source of the problem. This isn't going to get better. Right. Right. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And I do think, uh, I do think there are a lot of people who are like, oh, this thing is so good. We'll just educate the world on how good it is. And if that even works, that's a 10 or 20 or 30 year effort to educate a significant amount of people. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so tip one problem solution fit, which is simple and brilliant all at the same time. So, okay. So let's say, let's say we have done some research. We have talked to our customers or prospects or the market we feel like we have a good solution to the problem that they have. Mm-hmm. Now, now what?
2: So, I, I think at this point, you do have the option of beginning to put together, you know, one of the business model canvases, right? Um, mm. And in the book, we talked about there being, you know, different levels of complexity you can go to, whether you're, you know, if you're really ready for the full you know, Osterwalder's business model canvas. Um, I mean, I I tend to recommend against that right at the beginning. I think the lean canvas is usually a good place to start. You know, we created that little RTVN, even pre-idea canvas, just to identify what your key resources are, the transactions of the organization, the value you create, and sort of the narrative that holds it all together. But, you know, you can use almost any one of those to begin laying out the ideas. Can you tell, Um, can
1: you just... uh, Elaborate on RTVN. Was that was that? Sample? Sure.
2: Yeah. So RTVN is resources, transactions, values, and narrative. And and this came out of our research. You know, and I always I always hesitate to dig too far into sort of the, <laughs> the academic side of this. But we um. So this came out of you know when Jerry and I were looking at this and thinking you know it doesn't seem like anybody knows what the heck this business model thing is. Jerry is just a brilliant. Entrepreneurial academic because he recognized that that meant that there was theoretically a market for academic research on business models, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's an he's a tremendous entrepreneur, sort of think entrepreneurial thinker in his own right.
1: That's like real meta inception stuff, right?
2: It there. really is, yeah, right. Yeah. And I didn't get it at the time. It took me a, a good seven or eight years to figure all of that out. Um, yeah, he was very patient, <laughs> 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 um, but, but so the idea being that we what we did then was we looked at all of what had been published i mean we read i don't know we read you know we'd read like a thousand papers that had already been published about business models at that point to see what you know what academics and 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 um and practitioners were at least claiming business models were about and that was covering everything from like digital business models in you know specifically in it to construction business models and and um and then, really sophisticated academic research on uh, on on how business models theoretically created value, um, and just uh, so the two researchers who really sort of pioneered all this, uh, Amit and Zott, uh, really kind of led the way on on business models. I can talk about how their thinking changed, and in some ways they kind of got. I mean, they, they're fantastic fantastically successful academics, but they got a little bit short changed on the business model definition because theirs was spectacular, but it was just hard to work with. Um, so we mm. did all this research about, you know, on what was being said about business models. And we went out and talked to, you know, hundreds of managers to find out, you know, what, what do you think a business model is? Can you define it? We gave them examples. We let them try to pick through definitions. You know, we handed them academic definitions and asked them if they could figure out what they meant. <laughs> we like,
0: got a lot of, like we got a lot of funny. Cards.
2: Yeah, we were, seriously, it was actually flashcards. We actually handed, I had like sev- the seven definitions that we'd found sort of most commonly cited in the literature. And I just handed them to managers and said, do you understand what any of these mean? And they would just look at me funny. <laughs> um, so, so that was my introduction to academic research, really, being looked at funny a lot. Um, and so... <laughs> We, and, and so what we did then is we, we did basically a, a meta-analysis where we said, here's what everyone is saying. Um, how can we generate patterns out of all of the things that they're saying? And out mm-hmm. of that came these four areas, the resources of the organization, the transactions that the organization, the venture participates in, the value it creates and the way it creates that value. And then the narrative that sort of they tell each other internally or externally that sort of holds all of that together. Um, And so we just, so out of that, we just said, you know these other canvases are awesome, but if you 're if you 're basically at almost the pre idea stage, like you just have this glimmer of an idea you 've thought of you think there 's a problem out there and you might have a solution for it you 've come up with a way of changing how a current business runs, um, then maybe just a really simple piece of paper in which you list out what you think the key resources would be that is what are the assets capabilities of the organization that are useful right so google has the page rank algorithm right and walmart has its incredibly efficient distribution network right and southwest has really well trained employees who are cross-functional and um and they only buy one kind of plane so that everybody can work you know on any on any flight Um, and you have companies uh that have specific intellectual property that no one else has. Right. So those resources and capabilities that come together, um, the transactions, who does it interact with? Who, who would be involved in actually producing the, whatever it is that you end up selling? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that transaction actually take place? And then how is that value created? What is the what is the customer actually getting? Are they getting a thing? Are they getting convenience? Right. So much of the consumer world is built not around the thing you get, but how easy it is to get, or how easy that thing makes your the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, what is the narrative that pulls all this together? Like, why is it your company that could do this? Why hasn't it been done already? How? How? What? What is the story that suggests? that if you could link those resources into transactions and create value, that there'd then be a successful entity that could compete in the marketplace. And that can be a pretty fast process. I mean, that is like a 20, 30 minute sort of activity you can go through just to identify those different elements. And that's really, you know, a highly simplified way of plotting out where your business model is going to have to be eventually.
1: Um, Well, that's... I'm so glad. I'm so glad you also said it's. It can be fast, because I think a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs take this uh, ready, fire, aim approach. And not only do they take that approach, I think they're uh, largely applauded for taking that approach. And you know, and it's like one in one thousand or less that has a you know massively successful business who took that approach. Meanwhile. <laughs> The other 999, you don't ever hear about that they failed because they did They did take that approach, right? But yeah. we know the statistics of, you know, starting and running a company are not very favorable. Mm. And, and it seems like if there were some strategic thinking and a little bit of a pause after that moment of inspiration or brilliance, you know, the lightning strikes, yeah. go through something like this, We could probably say no to things that wouldn't work a lot faster instead of investing, you know, tens or hundreds or millions of dollars and massive amounts of time before we're just like, oh, I wish I had thought about this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right. No, fail fast. You've got to think that way. Right. You've got to you've got to have all of the processes in place to make sure that, you know, you're looking actively for all the reasons that it isn't going to work. And and the comment you made was 100 percent right. I actually say that. In my programs with executives who are trying to do to be entrepreneurial. I say it with my students in the classroom. I am like, wouldn't it be nice to know this isn't going to work now before yeah. <laughs> before yeah. you've spent a quarter million dollars of your friends and family's money and then you <laughs> yes. have to go back to them and say, hey, you know, I could have figured this out last year, but you know, hey, sorry. <laughs>
1: and, sorry, I was excited.
2: I, and yes, that's exa- you're, that is exactly right. I got excited yeah. about it. And I wasn't really. Yeah. Didn't, I didn't think it through, and I'm really sorry. But I have this new idea, yeah. Right, yeah, which is right. totally going to work this
1: time. <laughs> yeah. How many times are you going to be able to dip that bucket in the well? I don't right. know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, it is worth pointing out that I mean this the lean framework. You know, it, not so much the fire aim, but you know the build the prototyping I think is an incre- it, it, it beautifully complements business model thinking, right? It just, you just have to do it in the right way. Um, and it's kind of this, pers- you know, the comment I made was you, you put all these ideas down, maybe it's the RTVN network, maybe you do a lean canvas. That could be a viable business model eventually. Um, Putting it on paper doesn't make it a viable business model. Like I have a lot of students and a lot of entrepreneurs who, who draft up a business model because that's what the books tell them to do. Yeah. And they're like, look, I have a viable business model because I got it all down on paper. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. that's a, yes, you've, that's a piece of paper. Congratulations with writing on it. I love it. It's like a map. I, it's fantastic. Yeah, but it, it looks it means- really good. It, it it totally does. Yeah. Sometimes they have drawings. Some of the more artistic <laughs> ones use colors. I love it. Right? It's great. Smart but not use of font change. <laughs>
1: yeah, throw a little finger paint on there, and you're like ready to rock and roll. Uh,
2: and and it's part of that same excitement, right? You kind of because it, it, you feel like you've made it more concrete, right? You you really feel like you have. the the the, the thing I do with a lot of my entrepreneurs. I am so going to get myself in trouble here is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so years and years ago before he decided to run for president and before all sorts of other things had happened, Kanye West put together a business model, sort of, I don't know if you ever saw this, if you haven't seen this, this is such a digression that's going to, you know, you'll. but it's totally worth it. Stephen Colbert did a fantastic uh, sequence about it. Um years and years ago. This was right after the whole Taylor Swift Grammy mess. Right. Um, and Kanye had this, I, he basically, the name of the venture was Donda. And it was, and he, he put a, a little canvas together. It wasn't actually a business model canvas, but it was for all practical purposes, the exact same thing, right? It was, here's a list of ideas that I'm going to put together and this is going to be a viable business. And then the upshot was that he went to Twitter and started asking people for money, right? He's like, hey, Mark Zuckerberg, I could really use a billion dollars to make this work. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that is a damn good pitch. Like if I, if that worked, you know, you've only got to work once. Right? Yeah, that's right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but the problem is, is that this is this process this, that Kanye did is what a lot of entrepreneurs do as well, which is they put the stuff down on paper and it's so vague, right, so like, Kanye's Donda business model in, I mean, it had some really cool stuff on it, you know, like I don't remember seven screen movie experience, but it also had stuff on it that was a little less compelling, like cars, right? And you're like, yeah, okay. I mean, sure, but (laughs) what, um, and this is what we run into with a lot of entrepreneurs when they start business model canvassing is the stuff they put down on the canvas is really painfully vague. Like it's, it's, and it's, it's not just vague. It's untestable. And that's really where these things fall down because the way you complement business model thinking is with lean thinking about getting something fast and cheap and simple that still allows potential customers to say, oh, I could use that or Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you showing me this? I don't need that um and that's that bridge right we we try to talk about this in the book a lot like that bridge between the piece of paper (laughs) which you're all you know you've 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 sort of poured your heart into um but is really honestly worthless um and an actual viable business model is whether or not you've tested whether you've done any kind of testing at all with partners, customers, industry experts, right? Getting something in front of them, even if you just put the canvas in front of them Mm -hmm. and say, here's what I want to do. Like, do you, would people pay for that? Or would you pay for that? Or, um, and that's where those things come together. Right. And that's where you, you do want to use that, not fire aim, but, but build and then measure, right? That's Mm -hmm. that, that key difference. And, and when I see entrepreneurs do that, when I see them quickly get something in front of potential customers, um, I—that's I, when they get the really useful information. The sad part is half the time they don't—they still don't listen to it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times entrepreneurs right. do that, and then they get the feedback from their customers, which is, "I don't really want this." And you know, then you, and then sometimes they're—you know—the because they're just so bought into, they're so well, emotionally We must have asked the idea. wrong people. <laughs> I right. asked the wrong people. I asked the wrong question. Adam didn't really know what he was talking about. Like there's all sorts of great excuses for, for when that happens. Um, and, and having been there myself, like my first venture that failed, I, it's hard, right? You just, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you know it in your deep in your soul, you know, this idea is going to work. It's yeah. just no one else gets it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fools.
0: <laughs> right. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, I was, you know, and that, I th- I think that sort of leads to the, you know, the question I was going to ask is like, you know, how do you know when you have a good business model? And is it, is it through that iterative process of, you know, that's really interesting that you said, you even just share the canvas or the framework with people and kind of like, I guess a, a discussion at least is better than not having a discussion about. Oh it,
0: yeah. But right? well, I actually really like that, 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 that thought process. Like I have this idea, like. Would you pay for it? You know, like, is this something you would buy? Like, would that be a value to you? I I like that approach.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. How do you think that you mentioned, um, you know, kind of basically you said uh, like social bias or something earlier, but, or or as I would put it in layman's terms, people pleasing and unwillingness to have conflict. Yes. Um, A lot of people might say, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. And then, you know, you sort of build something and oh yeah, yeah, I'm not going to pay for it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's and it's a challenge. Right. And and, in, and and half the problem is who we ask. Right. So, you know, I always point out I point out to students, it's not it, it's not going to work to go to your parents and tell them about your idea. Right. That's not gonna, <laughs> that is that just does not help um, because, you know, they're biased. They, I presume, like you. Um, so, and if, and if they don't, if that's, if they don't, that's a, that's a topic for a different classroom. Like right. I don't do, yeah. I don't deal with, we don't deal with that particular problem in the business school. You're on your own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is, it is an issue, right? Because we, we tend, we tend to go to like-minded people, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We go to people and, and sometimes, that can work really well because if they're people we trust and we have really strong relationships with and they're reasonably more business oriented, you know, and have some experience, they can usually be honest with us, Mm. but sometimes it just completely fails. You go to people that you like and who like you and don't want to see you disappointed. Um, uh, So you do need to, you do need to think about that carefully. Um, This socialization of ideas in my, in my opinion is, 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 is a critical first step for getting to something Beyond the piece of paper, right? So you you definitely run that risk of showing, pe- you know, showing people the canvas and having them say, "Oh yeah, that sounds like it could work." Going to potential customers, even with a canvas, you'd be surprised. Customers are, I think, um, they'll they'll suffer from that same bias, um, that social desirability bias, but they're also in a cir- circumstance where they're they may not want to waste more time on it. And if they're like, "I don't see how I would use that." Um, But nothing beats creating something that they can touch and feel or, you know, imagine being bolted on to their supply chain and trying to figure out what they could do with it. Um, And prototyping doesn't have to be a 3D printed doohickey right? A prototype can be a service walkthrough, right? Or let's do a, a basically a gestalt experiment in which, you know, you're about to go and buy this thing that you need for your process. Walk me through how you actually go and do that. Like what are the key decision points? Like a customer journey map in that situation can be just insanely powerful for helping you realize how customers actually make decisions about what they buy and where does your idea fit into that but ultimately the closer you can get to whatever it is they think that they current it the, the, whatever it is that you think is actually going to be um whether it's an you know whether it is a service whether it is a device whether um uh it's it's a component uh, the, the the better the feedback you'll get right this is the whole and this is the whole build measure learn challenge is how how high fidelity can your prototype actually be uh, so that's, you know, that's where that opportunity is, but it is, it is a running challenge, um, but you've got to socialize. And if you don't socialize, then I, I think that you're just, you're just waiting for the right person to smack you down. I, you know, one of the stories I like to tell is I had a I uh, back when I was doing angel investing work, you know, we, we were getting, you know, hundreds of business plans every month. And I got one that was so vague. I mean, it was a really cool idea because it was at the time it was around cybersecurity. You know, and back in 2001, that was, you know, cybersecurity, that was a new topic, right? And so here was someone who was actually thinking about this and had a little bit of online, you know, um, experience at a very early stage. But the business plan was really, really vague. And it was really hard to understand what he was talking about. I mean, I could see that there was something there, but I couldn't figure out quite what it was. And I called him and I said, you know, I got this. And, you know, just the fact that I'm calling means that there's some interest because we reject 80% of these without a call. Um, But your plan's really vague. So can you tell me more about it? And he said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Uh, like, no, that's all
1: of the thinking that I have in this? (laughs) Or like, that's an awesome (laughs) response.
2: And I said, why not? And he said, well, he said, you know, two reasons one i'm concerned you might not understand it and two if you do understand it i'm concerned you might steal it and my response was well then (laughs) it's clearly not robust enough for us to invest in thanks um you know you've got to be you've got to be willing to to talk about your ideas you've got to be willing to get out there and explain them find people you trust um put the idea in front of them as early as possible. Like if you can't, if you're not willing to share your idea and talk about it with people, then as you know, as an investor, I'm, I'm totally not interested. Like I can't, that means that this thing is not sustainable. It's not protectable. It's not robust. It's, you know, so you, you got to do that and, and, and you should be happy if you do that and people tell you fairly quickly and prove to you that it doesn't work mm-hmm. like how cool is that to find out your business model sucks fast so right. you can mm-hmm. w- you can stop wasting time on it and start working on something that actually has some potential but it's tough as an entrepreneur that's really you know it's mm-hmm. hard the first couple times you go through this process your ego gets bruised and you take it right you know you take it personally it was my idea you're not criticizing my idea you're criticizing me mm-hmm. right that's yeah. hard right and I, I i work with my entrepreneurs to try to prepare them for that it isn't you it's just the idea you're not the idea you'll have this is just your first gig right it's just your first gig you're gonna have lots of gigs you know and hopefully one of them will hit and you'll buy that island in the bahamas and you'll buy me that motorcycle i want and you know and we'll all be happy um but it's just your first gig and you can't you if you can't separate the emotional if you can't separate the idea from your ego you're already in trouble
1: yeah that's that's I think that's a really good point that's a really good reframe too it's a mm. if if your thing gets squashed early on, like that's a victory because you don't have to invest time and resource in you know building it out and all that other stuff and it shows you the flaws there so maybe you can strengthen it right yeah um you have a a cool acronym um in your book about resources called sharp resources <laughs> yeah which i which I really like. Can you, um, can you kind of let everybody know what, cause it, you said, you know, the whole RTVN model, you know, one of the most important parts of that is resources, right? It's like, okay, what do we have? And then you go on to define that further and use this acronym SHARP. Like what, what does that mean?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, SHARP itself, um, talks about, you know, the resources being specific S, um, hard to copy rare uh, and then precious uh, was the, the, the final word. I, I have to be fair here though, um, because although the, you know, the, the work we did helped develop that, resource theory and strategy has a comparable framework in which it talks about this idea that you can generate competitive advantage based on resources. And this is a Mm -hmm. long running framework within the strategic theory field. And I'm sorry to be an academic just for a moment here, but it's important to, you know, (laughs) recognize when other people have done work. That was pioneered by uh, researchers beginning with Jay Barney. Um, The problem was the acronym they chose was so difficult. The acronym they chose is VRINE, (laughs) V-R-I-N-E. And then years later, they were able to, dramatically improve that by changing it to VRIO, V-R-I-O. And I have tried repeatedly to, to help people in the entrepreneurial framework to sort of work with that. And for the book, we decided it was time to just, we just decided, <laughs> look, this is business models, not strategy. It's fair game to come up with our own acronym that we think is a little bit easier. just, just, you know, if nothing else, just for people to remember. The idea behind this is pretty straightforward, right? A resource creates value, for a business model based on certain characteristics, right? So if everybody has it, then it's a commodity and it's not really that valuable. And this is Mm -hmm. where people get tripped up. They're like, oh, well, I have a computer that's valuable. Well, yeah, it's valuable in the sense that it's worth money, but it's not hard to find, Mm -hmm. right? It's not, um, anybody can get one and it's worth a certain amount of money, but you know, you can always raise more money. Um, And so this idea that resources are valuable to a business model when they're very specific. That is the more specifically they are utilized within the business model as part of the transactions or value creation, the more likely they are to generate a sustainable business model. Mm -hmm. Obviously if they're hard to copy, once they're in place, that means that you'll have less competition. Um, being rare, just right off the bat, obviously makes something valuable. And then the idea that it's it's precious—that there's something about it that's um, helps in generating the value for your customers. Um, this is the V and V-Rine valuable. Um, you know, that's where we can kind of go through this process of thinking about these things. So I'm doing a business model innovation project right now with a large uh, with a European multinational. Um, which, which was actually started before COVID, but uh, well, started at early stages of COVID, but has taken on new, <laughs> new urgency <laughs> as aspects of their business model just fundamentally don't work. And, and now they're realizing that those may never return. Um, and w- literally today they sent me their sharp analysis. So I had asked them to compile a list of resources that they felt fit into this sharp analysis. And it's really hard to do that if you're a big organization, right? Because your instinct is, you know, you just list out all your physical assets, but assets can be tangible or intangible. Um, One of my favorite stories about that is from uh, the people at Lexus. So, uh, and you can find, I I don't have the site, the URL on me, but I think we had it in in the book. Um, that for a while, Lexus actually, there was one guy, one Japanese man, who, whose job it was at the end of the production line to run his fingers along all the door edges to make sure that they lined up. And his, his sense of touch was more accurate than their lasers wow. somehow. Wow. And <laughs> when, they, when Toyota brought their first, or I remember if it was Toyota or Lexus, brought their first manufacturing facility to, to Alabama, they brought him. And it was his job as the cars were first coming off the line, not just to check, but to begin training the other people who were going to take over because he didn't want to live in the U S forever. Those kinds of intangible capabilities are what often gets missed, especially at the early stage when you're first starting this business model. Like, what is it that we have that's actually valuable? Sometimes it is just the idea in your head. Sometimes it's your key pe- your key person's ability to network and understand customers. Um, it might be you have a unique relationship with another organization that you know that can be exploited in some way. Um, But going through this process of really thinking about what the key resources are and how the business model will actually use them is incredibly powerful because it'll almost also almost always identify gaps in your resources. Mm. What are we missing? Mm. Like, what are we going to need in order to be able to actually produce this device or produce this service consistently? Right. Not just once but consistently for each of these customers and ensure that they're getting that value out of it. So the SHARP framework was simply, you know, like so many acronyms in business. It's, it's meant to be a quick shorthand for helping you walk through what are the resources at the organization that are going to really make a difference, whether they're financial, human, physical, knowledge, whether they're tangible or intangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the idea behind it. Um, well, and and, and, it, and it, res- it seems to resonate with people. And I think it's useful... In the business model canvas perspective, if nothing else for just requiring that you sit down and and walk through that because it 'll also tell you a little bit about your cost structure
1: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that's uh, that I think that's really good if if it, it feels like it puts some definition around an otherwise mm-hmm. sort of uh, nebulous topic, like okay you 've got resources, and it 's like, well, yeah, like you know i 've got all these different things what what 's actually going to be part of the value? Um, one of my, one of my early business partners wrote a book, uh, called Driven and he, uh, he, he considered, uh, something like that to be the genuine asset of the business. Like what is the genuine asset, you know, behind this business? Um, so yeah, this, this is amazing. Um, Dean, uh, you know, I had planned on hogging the mic and <laughs> selfishly <laughs> asking Adam all the questions I want to ask him. But I'm also aware that we're actually getting close to being out of time here. So, my British friend, I feel like I should... Uh, oh, and, and Doug just said we're starting the outro in one minute. So, okay. <laughs> Make it fast.
0: Well, no, I, I, I would just say, uh, no, it's been an awesome show. I I think one of the things that, that we've spoke about here that, that really resonated with me most is, like, dealing with the steps of dealing with a new idea when when you get that idea you know I I can definitely look back and say the amount of times when I get an idea and it's like I've just been past the baton and I run and I'm just (laughs) running so fast I'm like I've got this great thing so yeah I think you've given something for anyone in that situation which probably all of us at some stage to really consider and you know take positive steps in that direction so I appreciate sharing that helps
1: Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So, so Adam is, uh, you know, I I bought your book off Amazon. If people want to read, read the book and dig a little bit more into the topic is, is that the best place for them to go?
2: Yeah, it is. And, and there's the bizmodelbook.com website that has most of the resources, including the free work, all the worksheets from the, from the book. Uh, They're not even in the book. They're all just online for free that walk you through the process of building a business model. Um, uh, But yeah, if folks are interested, Amazon is definitely both in the UK and the US, definitely the easiest place to find it.
1: That's awesome. So for you guys who are just as interested as I am in this fascinating topic about how to architect, plan, and be very strategic about how you're growing your business, check out Adam's book, The Business Model Book, Design, Build, and Adapt Business Ideas That Drive Business Growth, available on Amazon. Also, bizmodelbook.com. Yep. Um, you can find the worksheets and everything, which is very generous uh, for for you guys to check things out there. Adam, so thank you so much for uh, for being here. Um, I really uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I hope uh, I hope all of our two listeners enjoyed the conversation just as much as Dean and I did. And for uh, for everybody else, make sure that you're tuning in every Tuesday at one o'clock Eastern. We are live. Feel free to call in, ask questions, give us a hard time, anything in between. Eight 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 six two seven. Six thousand eight. And for past episodes and shows, visit us at justatipshow.com. This is James P. Real signing off for another episode of Just Tips. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justatipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day visit me for free training and resources at jamesbeefreal.com our theme music is happy happy game show by kevin mcleod licensed under creative commons by attribution 3.0 license